This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. friends. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict and a food addict and lots of other things as well. I have been sober since December 2nd of 2012. So today's episode, this is episode 73 and um, it's entitled The Molasses Trenches of Grief. And uh, before I jump into kind of our topic today, I just want to give a few quick announcements as always. Registration has begun for our event coming up in January called Engaged in the Struggle. This is the theme of our Worth Recovery event in Salt Lake City, Utah on January 21st of 2017. I know that seems like a ways away, but it's not. It's just a few short weeks, just that about six weeks actually. We have a number of women registered already, so don't delay too long. We want you to get your tickets now before the early, while we have early bird pricing. That early bird pricing is available until December 21st, which is a month out, right? Our lineup is amazing. We recently had an episode with Candice Christiansen, who will be speaking at the Worth Recovery event. And soon we'll have episodes from both Jackie Pack and Lou Duke, who are also two of our CSAT therapists that will be speaking at our event in January. I'm super excited to bring that to you. You can find all of the details on the website, www.worthrecovery.com. So get on, get registered, and show up because I want to meet you and I want to see you. So make it happen. I'm excited for that. Now, also before we move forward, I of course want to give a shout out to my Worth Warriors. You ladies are amazing. When a woman reaches out in for help in addiction, it's my mission to provide the voice and the hand of a woman to reach back. And you Worth Warriors, you make that possible. I don't get paid for doing this. So you help me to keep this podcast free so that all women anywhere, no matter their circumstances, will have access to another woman and their recovery stories and be able to find hope and help in whatever ways that we can give them. So you help make this possible by providing a small monthly contribution that helps me to maintain the website and maintain the podcast so that we can keep this free for everyone. I can't thank you enough. So if you have been enjoying this podcast, if you're enjoying what you're learning, if you're a regular listener, if this podcast has helped you even just a little bit, you can get on the website and become a Worth Warrior. There are special perks and discounts for our Worth Recovery events. I'm going to take all my Worth Warriors out for dinner the night before our event in January. So you can join the Worth Warriors for as little as $4 a month. That's a little bit less than 50 cents an episode. Get on the website, look for the Worth Recovery logo, and join the movement. All of that information can be found on www.worthrecovery.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. This one's going to be a tough one for me, but it's my current reality. And I promised myself when I started this web, this podcast, that I would be real. I would be as real as possible. 
Sometimes that means I don't talk about things that I'm going through in the moment, but I talk about them afterwards. Sometimes that means I don't talk about them at all (laughs) because I do have boundaries. And sometimes that means that in the middle of my messy life, I'm going to talk about it and it's going to be hard. And, uh, but I, I feel really compelled to do this. I'm in the deep molasses. I'm calling them the molasses trenches of grief. I call them that because they make me feel dark, overwhelmed, and slow, like I'm trying to walk through molasses. I'm in the deep molasses trenches of grief over so many, many things. I don't feel like I have anything new or anything different to offer on the subject of grief than what's already written in the literature about the topics of loss and grief and moving on and all sorts of stuff. There's so much written about it, so much advice, so much information. However, I feel very compelled to talk about it, probably because it is my current reality and it seems to be permeating every aspect of my life right now. I hope that in sharing my experiences, you can find something that resonates with you and can help you as well if you happen to be in the molasses trenches of grief. For the logical, linear mathematician in me, grief is terrible because I can't figure it out. It doesn't follow a strict pattern. It doesn't have a solution that I can solve for. It doesn't follow a cause and effect relationship like mathematics does. It just is. Grief just is. My therapist keeps a blog and in one of her posts she wrote about her own grief. She shared some of the things that she learned about grief, and I'll link to it from the website if you want. You can get on the website. It's called Simple Courage, and I'll link to it from the website. But she says, quote, Since being thrust into this grieving process, I have been interested in what those who have walked this path before me have discovered. Stephen Colbert spoke vulnerably about his loss. When Colbert, the youngest of 11 children, was 10 years old, his father took two of his older brothers up to New England for boarding school. Their flight went down and all three perished. Four decades later, that's 40 years, the loss is still with him, but it has changed. Colbert writes, it's not as keen. Well, it's not as present. How about that? It's just as keen, but not as present. But it will always accept the invitation. Grief will always accept the invitation to appear. It's got plenty of time for you. He continues, The interesting thing about grief, I think, is that it is its own size. It is not the size of you. It is its own size. And grief comes to you. You know what I mean? I've always liked that phrase, He was visited by grief. Because that's really what it is. Grief is its own thing. It's not like it's in me and I'm going to deal with it. It's a thing, and you have to be okay with its presence. If you try to ignore it, it will be like a wolf at your door, close quote. I love that. Grief is its own thing. Like I said, it doesn't follow any strict pattern in my life. I can't solve for the solution, and it doesn't follow any real cause and effect relationship. It is its own size, and it comes to visit. It is visiting me right now in abundance, in more ways than I realize, and in more ways than I think I will survive on some days. What am I grieving, you ask? Well, that is messy and complicated. (laughs) Five years ago this week, we started hospice care with my dad. 
These final weeks of the year were his final weeks of life. The first snow, as I'm watching it right now, in my own window here, brings back so many memories of those last few weeks. They were filled with difficult times. My dad had brain cancer, and the closer we got to death, the worse his short-term memory became. He would watch the exact same episode of NCIS all day long, saying that he couldn't remember how it ended. He kept asking me, did we watch that? Because I can't remember how it ended. Will you start it for me? I miss him. I miss his phone calls, or he would ask me if I changed the oil in my car. (laughs) I miss his bear hugs. I miss his smile. I miss how much he loved Christmas, and especially Christmas lights. And sometimes I hate that I miss him. Since his passing, I've learned that my dad had his own sex addiction, that a lot of the issues between my parents contributed to my own dysfunction, my own codependence, even my own addiction. Yet finding all that out brought so much validation and peace into my life. I want to hug him and tell him I understand and I get it. Boy, do I get it. And I want to be angry at him too. I feel all of those things at the same time for my dad. The anger, the pain, the forgiveness, the love, the longing, the peace. That is what grief looks like some days for me. I'm also grieving for my mom. And this is just as messy. (laughs) My mom is dying. We started hospice care just a few weeks ago for her. She is doing this thing I am calling deathbed confessions. She starts talking about a topic and secrets that she has held in for years, decades even, come blurting out of her mouth. Some of them have been really fun, like learning that my mom was a model in her early 20s, learning some of her childhood stories and memories. Others, though, have been very, very difficult, like when she told us about her sexual abuse as a child. She ends all of these with, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And that's just it. (laughs) We don't get a chance to ask questions or process or talk to her about it. She refuses to. She constantly mutters under her breath about things. For decades, she has been holding in all of her emotions, sacrificing herself and her needs for those around her. This is probably the most complicated relationship of my life. I adore my mother. I love her. I have always said, I am my mother's daughter. We are so alike in so many ways, good and bad. So much of who I am, what I am, my abilities come from my mom. I have amazing memories of my childhood and my mom. My mom taught me to play the piano. I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't know how to play the piano. From my earliest memories, I have been playing the piano. My mom knows more about music and knows more music than I could ever hope to imagine in my own life. Yesterday, as I was singing some Christmas songs as part of a choir I'm performing with, I had a major breakdown. This will be the last season of Christmas songs with my mom. I couldn't hold it together. I was overcome with sadness. I can't even comprehend a world without my mom's constant soundtrack in the background. Yet, there is some relief that comes with my mom passing. My mom takes up a huge amount of space in my life. Though in recovery I have begun to put boundaries around that space, it has been difficult and has come at a cost. My own healing has been hurtful to my mom. 
our relationship has suffered the last few years as I try to figure out how to live my own life. As I figure out where I begin and where my mom ends, we got into a huge argument this last Mother's Day when my mom begged for things to go back to the way they were before. I cried uncontrollably for days. I knew going back meant going back to everything. Enmeshment, acting out, dependency, addiction. It was the moment I realized I couldn't give my mom what she wanted and remain healthy myself. Though I knew that moment would come, it was more painful than I ever thought possible. With my mom dying, I have been flooded with childhood memories. So many memories, so many connections, so many realizations. It has felt overwhelming. I don't even know what to do with all of them or how to process all of them or what they are trying to say to me. These memories bring up so much emotion. There is so much emotion with my mom. Love, loss, sadness, anger, resentment, relief, more sadness, more loneliness, so much loneliness. That is what grief looks like sometimes for me. This Christmas marks the fourth Christmas without my dad, the third Christmas without my grandma, the second Christmas without my aunt, well, and the first Christmas without my other aunt, and my last Christmas with my mom. That's a lot of loss. <laughs> in the loss of my parents and watching my siblings all grieve in their own way, there is more grieving that is done. Not just grieving the physical loss of my parents. In the episodes I did about big emotions with Jonathan Taylor, he talks about addiction being the grief process interrupted. I've thought a lot about that in so many aspects of my life and my family. Jonathan also talks about grieving several different things. He said we grieve, one, the things that were and shouldn't have been. Number two, things that were and weren't enough. And then number three, things that weren't and should have been. As I've worked through the loss and the death of my dad, there's been a lot of grief for each of those things. Things that were and shouldn't have been. Things that were and yet weren't enough. And the things that weren't and should have been. I'm feeling all of those things as I attend to my mom for the last few months of her life. Things that were and shouldn't have been. I feel like I've worked through so much of that in recovery already. Right now though, I'm especially feeling the things that were and weren't enough. And the things that weren't and should have been. It's not just the loss of my parents that I'm grieving though. My fish died this weekend. <laughs> I've always had a thing for beta fish. I just love them. I usually have three to four of them that I keep. This guy was my buddy around the house. I know that seems weird and it probably says a lot about me that I like fish and that I have fish for buddies. But anyway, his name was Ender. Like from the book Ender's Game, Ender. And I'm just sad that he had to die. <laughs> I've had him for a long time and he lived a good life. And I'm going to miss him. My grandpa, my mom's dad, came into town this weekend for Thanksgiving. He's 87 and very frail. His mind is going a little bit. It's difficult to watch. My grandma, his wife, died four years ago, like I said earlier. He couldn't stop talking about her. I miss her so much. Every time I would see her, she would hug me and say, how is my amazing Amy doing? Every single time. She always called me amazing Amy. 
She taught me so many things. Spending time with him brought grief back to visit. It's like the Stephen Colbert said, like I read earlier in his quote, grief will always accept the invitation to appear. (laughs) Always. I could go on about all the things I feel I'm grieving. The family I wish I had. The family I thought I had. My best friend moving to Alabama and left a huge hole in my life. As I approach my 41st birthday, the more the realization sinks in that I'm not going to have my own biological children. (laughs) That's difficult too. I'm sure that there is more. I know there's more, but that is enough for the moment, I think. The real thing I wanted to share and talk about today is how grief manifests and what I'm trying to do with it. One of the dominant ways grief shows up for me is in my sleep and my productivity. I can't seem to get enough sleep right now. I sleep all the time, solidly for eight to nine hours a night, and I still feel tired. Not just tired, but like heavy and exhausted. It's like that molasses feeling I said earlier. My limbs feel heavy. Walking seems difficult. Not all the time, but sometimes. I remember when this happened right after my dad died. I was worried about how much I was sleeping and thought maybe I was dealing with some massive depression. And my therapist told me one day, Amy, this is what grief looks like. I hate it. Some days it is all I can do to get out of bed. Sometimes staying out of bed is difficult. I just want to go back to sleep. On the other hand, I can also have insomnia where I don't sleep at all, all night. And that's just as bad. It still gives me that molasses feeling like my limbs are heavy, where walking seems difficult. I still want to lay in bed and try to sleep, even though I know I'm not sleeping. Either way, this is how grief shows up in my life. The other way it manifests for me is in my productivity productivity level. I may get out of bed, but I might not be able to focus long enough to get anything done. This has been me the last two weeks. I've been really busy jumping from one major event to another, and it has been all I can do to just get the bare necessities done, like like showering, getting dressed, and showing up to where I'm supposed to be. When I do find a little bit of downtime, that exhaustion takes over, and I sleep or lose time watching TV or movies. I have to guard from feeling really shameful about this. I know my mind sometimes can't do more than the absolute bare minimum, And I have to find some grace, and that is okay. This feeling of tiredness and exhaustion leads to the loss of a filter for me. This is another way it shows up in my life. I can't seem to control my emotions well. I try, but it doesn't always work. I'm emotional anyway and can cry easily, but it's worse now. The crying lasts longer, and sometimes I can't stop it. I carry around my own box of tissues with lotion in them, So I don't have to use the rough stuff. (laughs) I carry my makeup with me all the time so that if I have to put on a brave face for work or other reasons, I can touch up my makeup and make it happen. I also don't do a good job of controlling the words that come out of my mouth sometimes. I understand why older people say whatever they want. Sometimes you just can't help it. When you ask me questions, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to say I'm doing well if I'm not. I'm not going to sugarcoat this for anyone. I try sometimes, but I can't always make it happen. 
thankfully, with as much recovery as I've worked for, I feel like I've changed a lot of my own thought processes around this. So far, this hasn't got me into much trouble, though there have been a few occasions where I've said things that I regret. But not having the filter is one of the ways that grief shows up in my life. Another big way this manifests for me is in isolation. I isolate from people. I do this for a few reasons. One, I don't want to answer the question, so how is your mom? Stop asking me that question. I went to church on Sunday and I probably had 15 people ask me that question. How is your mom? Well, my mom's dying and she's not going to get any better. And dying is messy and it's hard and it's not pretty. So when you ask me, how is your mom? I'm going to say she's struggling or she's not well. And probably, I don't know, maybe 90% of the time, I get this sad look back from people on their face and I end up consoling them. I don't want to answer that question. I don't want to console you about my mom dying. So I isolate. I don't want to talk to people. Second, I'm tired of comments about how I should be living out these last months of my mom's life. Everyone seems to have an opinion on pain meds or pain patches, on hospice companies, on videotaping my mom, on how much time I should be spending with her, how much we should be doing, where we should go, what family she should be seeing, etc. Or they have opinions on how I should be feeling. Don't be sad. She'll be out of pain when she dies. God needs her more than you do. Cry now and then you won't have to cry later. All sorts of things about how I should be feeling and living the last months of my mom's life. It's worse when they've lost a parent as well. Because then they have all sorts of their own regrets or lists of things that they wish they had done. And so they put that on me and project that all on me. But you know what? I've lost a parent. I know how this goes. This is my second parent. I've got my own list of things I want to do, and I've worked with my mom to develop one for her. We're doing this the very best that we can on her terms. So keep your advice to yourself. (laughs) That was a little bit of a soapbox. I'll get off now. But I isolate from people because I don't want to deal with those comments, and I don't want to have to console you. I don't want to have to watch you struggle with my own loss. These are just a few of the ways it's manifesting in my life. There are many, many, many more. I sat in my therapist's office the other week and said, how do I do this? Give me a list of things to do, things to write about, a path to follow through and get out of grief. She told me this story and it stayed with me for a long time. One of her necklaces went through the wash. It came out of the dryer in a knotted ball of chain. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen. And it comes out and it's just all knotted up in this little tiny ball. She put it on a plate and she got a couple pairs of tweezers and she just started pulling. She pulled on this piece and then on this piece. There wasn't really an order to it. She just started pulling and loosening everything up. And all of a sudden it was untangled. She said, if you ask me how I did it, I couldn't tell you except that I kept pulling. That's how grief works. I don't know how to get through it. I don't even know how it works. But you just keep going. You keep working through it. That was a hard answer for me to accept. I spend hours of my week solving equations with linear processes. I need that order in my life. (laughs) But I don't think I have a choice in this. I am powerless over grief. 
and it is making my life unmanageable. (laughs) So unmanageable. So what do I do with it? I do several different things. The first one is though, I work the steps. I am powerless over grief and it is making my life unmanageable. However, I have a higher power that can and will restore me to sanity because grief makes me insane. And I've already made a decision in my life to turn my will and my life over to his care, to the care of my higher power. And so I believe in his timing. I believe in his will. I believe in the bigger picture that he can see that I cannot. I trust that he will take whatever I can offer and whatever I can do during this period of time and he will make it enough. I know that he did that for me when my dad was dying. I witnessed and was part of true miracles during that period of time and I'm seeing that again in my own life now. Grief is a thing all its own. It will continue to darken my doorway for years to come. I'm sure of it. I can't predict it as much as I try to. I can't prevent it either as much as I try to do that. It shows up in different ways as well. The only way out is through. I'm not sure where I heard that phrase for the first time, but it is truer today than it has ever been. The only way out of grief is through grief. It brings all sorts of feelings with it. Loss and love, resentment and forgiveness, loneliness and peace. It forces us. It has forced me to hold these seemingly contradicting feelings in my hands and my heart at the same time and to make peace with them. The loss and the love, the resentment and the forgiveness, the loneliness and the peace. I have to hold them together in my heart and make peace with that. The thing about me, though, is that I haven't always been good at that. I haven't been good at dealing with emotions. I'm not just a recovering addict. I'm a full-blown escape artist. I have been escaping from my emotions my entire life. Whether it's been food or fantasy or sex, it doesn't matter. Escape is my thing. Being present through these emotions and through grief is hard. I want to run away. I want to stop the pain. But I remember what I've learned, that addiction is the grief process interrupted. And I remember again, that the only way out is through. So the question is, how do we get through? How do we get through it? We work the steps on it for sure. What else do we do? I just have a few things at the end of this podcast here too. Things that I'm doing on a daily basis that are helping me get through grief. A few weeks ago, I had a crystal clear acting out dream, one where I acted out and enjoyed every minute of it. It was so clear that I woke up and wondered if it had actually happened. I was able to execute my dream plan and go right back to sleep without a really big problem. When I told my therapist about it, she said, maybe you need to do something that is all your own, something you want to do that is for you to help you get through things. I took her advice to heart and it has really, really helped. I think each day I start in the morning, every day I think, what do I need today? What do I need today that's just for me? What do I want? And I do my best to make it happen. Sometimes that's a couple hours of TV. I just need that little bit of distraction. Sometimes it's a walk in the middle of the night in the dark where I can look at the stars, I can cry, and no one will see. Sometimes it's driving really fast with really loud music on. 
And I haven't got a speeding ticket yet, so don't worry. <laughs> Sometimes that's an extra hour of sleep in the middle of the day. Sometimes it's a phone call to a good friend. Sometimes it's turning the ringer off and not answering the phone all day long. Whatever it is, I try really hard to make it happen and to not feel any sort of guilt and shame around it. It has really helped me. Another strategy I've used is emotion dumping. I write emails to myself throughout the day just to empty my head. There is so much going on in my head. Sometimes these are short, sometimes they're long, but it's a way to just empty my head of whatever emotion is going on at the moment. They don't even have to make sense. Sometimes it's just a string of words with no real sentence structure. Sometimes if it's emotion or something that I need to be held accountable to, I'll send it to my therapist. But usually it's just emails to myself to dump what I'm feeling in that moment so that I can work through it and keep going. One other thing that has really helped me, and this maybe seems a little weird, is stretching. I started this about three weeks ago. I just, it was one of those things, like I woke up in my head and I was like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do today for me? And it was, I need to stretch my body out. And so I've continued to do it. I get up and I spend about 20 minutes on the floor just stretching. It feels so good. And then I spend 10 minutes just lying flat to focus on trying to relax my body and my muscles. It has helped me so much, I can't even tell you. On the few days where I haven't done it, I can tell a real difference. Just those few minutes of really paying attention to my own body, stretching things out, allows that tension and that darkness and that heaviness to kind of dissipate and go away. It's made a really big difference in my life. As I conclude this episode today on grief, I hope that you have found some value here. I hope that whatever it is that you are grieving in your life, whether that's the loss of your addiction, the loss of maybe some acting out partners, the loss of the reality of your family or your marriage, maybe you're trying to come to terms with the fact that your relationships are are never going to be the same. Maybe you're trying to come to terms with the fact that your relationship's not going to be what you wanted it to be. Maybe you're grieving the loss of innocence in your life. Maybe you've lost children. Maybe you've lost family members to death or to addiction or to other things. I know with the women that I've worked with and talked with and the men even that I've worked with and talked with in addiction recovery, there is a lot of grief. As Jonathan Taylor told us, addiction is the grief process interrupted. And so I feel like when we start this process of recovery, one of the very first things we end up dealing with is grief and loss. It comes out in our lives in ways we can't even imagine. It always accepts the invitation to come every single time. And it's its own size. Grief is something its own size. It's not something in us that we work through. It's not who we are. It's a visitor that comes to help us. And I hope that you can find some ways to work through your own grief. The only way out of grief is through grief. I know that this this period of time is the beginning or the revisiting, I should say, of grief in my life. And it's going to be around for a while. And I can distract myself some days and I can feel okay some days. And some days you'll look at me and you'll never even know that I have any kind of grief going on in my life. But it's here. 
And as I continue to work through it, accept it, understand it, and take care of myself through the process, I learn to hold these contradicting emotions in my life. And I learn to be better. I learn to be a better person. I learn to be a better friend, a better partner, um, a better daughter, a better sister. And it helps me to grow. I don't always take that approach. I don't always want to believe that, but it's true. As always, ladies, I hope that you remember that no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, no matter what you're grieving, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up this fight. Don't forget, you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. I think about you so much. I pray for you so much too. And I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.